You're listening to News Link Live Uncensored. Real, entertaining journalism. Minus the corporate pandering, self-censoring, mealy-mouthed reporting of the mainstream media. Here's your host, Genevieve Di Natale. So with this, with the People's Convoy, what what are you protesting since the mask mandates are coming down? Um, it's a good question. Uh, the mandates were the symptom. All right, we we uh, we were keeping a very close eye on the messaging of this as it began to develop because we wanted to make sure, uh, you know, that there was no violence, there was no, nothing extreme like that. That it was a very focused message, and what started out as um, an end to the mandates, we kind of knew that as this grew and we saw what was going on in Canada, that more than likely the reaction here would just going to be to start walking it back, rolling the mandates back, which they're doing. But uh, what, what I thought was wonderful is that they actually tuned into the fact, they just brought more focus to it by focusing on the emergency declaration. All right. So they went from treating a symptom to treating the problem. All right. Because they can roll back the mandates and say, OK, well, you know, you scare us. We're rolling it back now. And we go back and relax and they come right back upon us. So uh, they're dealing specifically with these emergency declarations. OK, um, so are you prepared to be arrested and have your, your truck seized? Um, yeah, I mean, the alternative here is that if we don't stand up and there shouldn't be anything radical or extreme about freedom and liberty. I mean, everyone, and this is a wonderful thing we're seeing in the, the Northeast group anyways, is I'm watching Democrats and Republicans side by side uh, pulling in the same direction. As we kept the politics out of it, and as you mentioned earlier, it's gotten so divided out there and polarized that almost any idea from a Democrat is rejected by a Republican and vice versa. So we're trying to put all this aside because both Democrats and Republicans are losing their jobs. The suicide rate is going up for both. Divorce rate and addictions is, is impacting everybody. And I think the the we the people um as they shed their uh, political garb um are coming together on just this important concept of freedom and liberty regardless of what your political persuasions are you want the freedom to be able to express that so it's got a political support across the, the board which is why the the numbers of people that have come in is, is just the the growth is explosive it really is. And it, it, we've worked very hard to keep the politics out of it. And we're reaping the benefits of that now as people are focusing on the message. Yeah, but freedom with respect to uh, not being able to have to get vaccinated is in, in mass mandates. I mean, that's where this all originated, right? Is, is, is the, are these the primary complaints? Um, I mean, that it, those are more of the symptoms. Is government has uh, claimed the right to mandate things upon us. Now, mandates aren't laws. Executive orders, people who are early on in this, as I was out, I've never worn a mask. I, I won't be masked by government. I, I, like many people, have common sense. If I'm not feeling well, I'm going to stay home. I'm not going to go to work. I don't need a contact tracer to quarantine me. I'm going to 
self-quarantine myself. Um, so it's more than just uh, vaccines, although it is that too. Uh, those are being mandated. Um, the, the interference with commerce. This is one of the few things that government's actually mandated to do proactively is to keep commerce regular. Yet the, they are the ones that have interfered with it. In the emergency declarations, uh, one of the standard performance standards for a valid declaration of emergency is that there's widespread disruption of public services. Now that never occurred. The closest we came to a, a public service, a public asset was the disruption and, and breaking of the food supply line. And that was specifically due to uh, government uh, interventions and shutting down businesses as these people did not realize that wilting, that withering effect. When you shut down, uh, I mean, all restaurants, the, the food cart vendors, there's so many thousands and thousands of them. And when they stop ordering food and product and, and things for their business, the truckers now don't have material to truck. The uh, deep freeze storages, they don't have anything to keep in deep freeze. And this literally went from shutting down of stores in wilted and went right back. Uh, we had ranchers that were sitting there uh, literally making an economic decision here. Do we put our cattle down and plow our fields in? Because there's literally no one's going to buy this product when it, we grow it to maturity. So in a purely economic decision, farmers were actually at the point where they were considering putting down their cattle and tilling their fields in. You don't turn that on like a flip of a switch. When you've destroyed that segment of the economy, the food chain, I mean, it, it takes another season to, to grow cattle, uh, grow crops. So they came very close to disrupting commerce or they did disrupt it, but they almost broke the food supply line, which would have brought, you know, unrest uh, quickly to your city areas when the food stopped flowing. I mean, do you think it, this is the coronavirus has been a public health matter and it's become politicized. So wearing a mask became liberal and not wearing one became conservative and libertarian. And, you know, um, I, well, how do you feel about that? Do you think that you, you know, that people are kind of shoved into these kind of uh, categories with respect to a public health matter? Uh, that was very much intentional in my estimation. The, uh, the purpose, <laughs> the greatest benefit to that mask uh, was not in stopping a virus. And you can read that on the side of the package. That's not what they're uh, made to do and they won't prevent it. But what it does do is it adds to that polarization we just talked to you, you've got two categories of people, the, the, the mask wearers and the non-mask wearers. So they've politicized the issue. They monetize it due to their connections with uh, the pharmaceutical companies. So it's been monetized. And the more information that comes out now, not necessarily through the mainstream, but through other people that are just digging and digging and digging, we see that it's also weaponized. All right, that this is not a natural thing, and, and that's uh, in the public uh, uh, database right now. It's just not being reported on. So they've used this mask to uh, keep us divided. You know, if we're warring and you know, divide and conquer, we've got two warring factions. 
they were very cleanly uh, able to make a, a Democrat, Republican, even this is a Trump thing. And it's just, uh, it's made to divide. And I think it's a wonderful measuring tool for government to at a glance, look at, at the public and see who is obedient and on board with a narrative and who is not. I mean, this seems a little paranoid to me, to be completely honest, but I mean, my I didn't like the way the vaccine was rolled out because it wasn't FDA approved before we were required to get it. Okay, so I'm not opposed to vaccines or government intervention, but you know, I saw that Pfizer, I was reporting on Pfizer, talking to the people who were behind this. It didn't even sound like they knew what they were talking about. And they were rolling out a vaccine in six months. So to me, it just, how can they do human trials effectively? And then I got the vaccine, Pfizer's vaccine, and I got the coronavirus anyway. And then all the reports say, oh, it's a breakthrough case. There must be something wrong with your immune system and this and that. And, you know, no, there, there really isn't anything wrong with my health. So those were my personal complaints with it. You know, I, I don't feel like that, you know, this is going to become communist China now because of the way that the government handled the coronavirus uh, pandemic. But I do think that the way the vaccine was rolled out wasn't the best. Um, that wasn't the best methodology, you know. Well, no, and, and I uh, won't even gratify them by calling it a vaccine. They had to change the definition, the working definition of vaccine twice during coronavirus to make that actually fit the definition. All right. And, and the, you're right. And the testing uh, was not done. And if you look at the emergency use authorization, this has been uh, weaponized. This has been used against us. And I'll give you a couple of examples. One was with the vaccine. And when the FDA came out and told us, oh, it's fully approved. Well, I can read. That was only two pages long. And it wasn't. It was a lie. All right. It's not fully approved. They approved something else that is not even in production. All right, so there's a problem there. Um, under emergency use authorization, for it to be valid, you, there cannot be a feasible alternative, and it can't do more harm than good. And that's, we're seeing both of those things uh, It does not meet those standards. My wife and I have dealt with uh, corona twice. She got it uh, two Aprils ago, back in the beginning in April. She got sick. I went on a prophylactic dose of ivermectin and HCQ, zinc, all the, you know, I've got it all here. We were ready. And she went on a full dose and was better in a few days. Now, just several months ago, we got Delta. It came through again. We both got sick. We had the medication. We went on it. We were better in a few days. This was withheld from the people. And, and you know, if you've been investigating these alternatives, you know how aggressive government was it demonizing uh, the use of these alternative drugs they worked wonderfully they really did so it does... vac did you get vaccinated i i won't okay I, I... and your wife didn't get vaccinated either no okay. no so a prophylactic dose the first time around prevented me in, in the presence of her being sick all those days i never got sick so the prophylactic theory um, is sound in, in my personal experience. And then when we both got it, you know, we realized, and, and for the first time in, in, in history, the, the government and the medical system was telling us that the best thing to do is go home till you can't breathe, then go to the emergency room. 
Never before, I can't think of another cancer, they say get on it early. I mean, everything is about early treatment, early identification, early treatment. This is literally the first time in history that they've said, go home until you can't breathe. That's interesting. Now, coming back on that to the emergency use authorization, um, if you were to follow the government protocol, okay, you have symptoms, you go in, they say, yep, you got COVID, go home till you're critical, and then come on back in. Their government protocol is uh, to use a drug called remdesivir. This only has emergency use authorization. It was being tested for um, a medication for another disease. And the only two trials that were done with remdesivir, in one, they had to pull the drug out. They were testing a pool of people with several drugs. This drug was shutting down their kidneys and killing people. And then in the other one, the same thing was happening. And it never made it through the trials. So you now have a drug that when you know when you have renal failure, all your organs begin to uh, swell up and take on fluids, not unlike the symptoms of COVID. So this literally created the as, as the drug was harming people, it created symptoms of the condition it was supposed to uh, cure you of. So people were going in going uh, getting fluid in their lungs you know and they're saying it's covid and it wasn't it was renal failure from remdesivir and then they put them on a ventilator and mind you there's a payout there's a commission to the hospitals and doctors involved when, when you diagnose somebody when you put them on remdesivir when you put them on the ventilator there's a payout at each level so does that drug technically uh, should that have had remdesivir i'm talking about should it have even had emergency use authorization for COVID? Mm -hmm. I, I think they violated the laws and we're, we're seeing that as more information trickles out and it's only been through constant pressure and, and people relentlessly pushing for this. I mean, why would the FDA not give us or the CDC for 75 years proposing that we shouldn't know what's in that shot for 75 years? I mean, how the, the flags don't go up with people, I don't know. That's interesting. Um, so so back to the people's convoy. Um, do you plan on having this uh, be a long-term protest movement? I mean, how confrontational do you plan on being? Uh, confrontational, not at all. Uh, I mean, assertive. Um, I think these uh, people are are really just tired of being herded around like cattle. They're tired of the mandates. They're tired of the economic destruction. All the things I said from suicide, addiction, uh, they, they've had their fill. They're going down. This is uh, what may be one of the largest peaceful assemblies seeking redress of grievance. This is such a classic First Amendment effort um, uh, to be confrontational I, I think it's just a, a little bit more than I would go assertive yes um, but we have made absolutely sure that our ranks and the volunteers and uh, the, the people that are going along with us are, are perfectly understand that we're going down there as uh, message deliverers now any anyone who's talking smack and violence or anything like that uh, we all are in agreement there to be identified. You know, we're not going to deal with that. So we don't even let that type of talk take place on our, our boards. This is about freedom and liberty. 
you know, purely peaceful assembly of Americans. So how many people are involved in the People's Convoy? How many people do you think they're going to bring to D.C.? Boy, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to keep, uh, uh, put our, get our finger on that. Is Everyone's watching what's happening in, in Canada, which, I mean, I'm hard pressed not to just call that flat out tyranny. I, I've seen some horrible things happen uh, to very peaceful people. In fact, just last weekend, I interviewed uh, the young man who who put out that live stream of the woman that was trampled by the mounted police. Um, I had him on the show and, and talking to him, and he described a, a totally peaceful situation on the ground. The only time there was a little bit of a dust up is when um, Antifa came in and started breaking windows and spray painting things. Um, but that was it. That was some agitators, and, and I guess they were able to get them out. But the, the people themselves really just wanted to have their government's undivided attention. And there was no, no violence in, in their effort either. And so uh, we're definitely not going down there after seeing January 6th and all the theatrics around that. We know they're likely to try to develop a narrative around this as a bunch of you know, crazy extremists. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of mama bears in there. There's some angry, a lot of angry mama bears. They're the ones that uh, overwhelmingly jumped in to help organize this. Not so much, the, excuse me, the truckers, although they're watching on the sideline, but they're keeping their head low. To answer your question, the truckers are there, their hearts are on board, but they're very nervous to go out publicly, openly, uh, registering, signing up to things, um, just because they don't know if they're going to be treated punitively by government. Their yeah. bank accounts drained, for example. How did this start in the U.S.? How was this organized? Do you know? Well, what appeared to happen, a lot of it was very organic. Eventually, we had uh, the, the truckers, uh, Brian Brazi and others that uh, have been on the news, uh, eventually you know, became the spearhead for that. I think all of America was watching Canada unfold and, and I could just sense that that rolling boil, if you will, uh, uh, starting to come about. And, you know, for whatever reason, uh, those guys, there was a, a several of them in a, a committee, uh, one up in the Northeast here out in New York that I've been working with. And, you know, we just knew it was going to pop off. Brian and those guys set up uh, their national page and almost immediately filled up. They had 500,000 uh, subscribers on there. And of course, social media being what it is, they uh, filtered that out and killed the page. And at that time, I realized this was almost definitely going to happen here. I floated out a page myself uh, for the, uh, the People's Convoy Northeast group is... Um, I was nervous about outside elements, even those meaning well, but of people from halfway or completely across the country telling our people in the Northeast how to get out of the Northeast into DC, right? Uh, lots of agitators, there were lots of feds involved in January 6th. So I rolled that page out. Um, I've got a connection to many of the patriots in the Northeast and you know people that I trust and have integrity. And I tried to nudge them into 
volunteering to organize in their state. So when I floated uh, that Facebook page out there, I went to bed that night thinking, you know, I'll be lucky if a few hundred people pop in there and get involved. And in the first day, I think we had like 10,000 people and we're up uh, 70,000 right now. It just caught on fire. And uh, we've got numerous organizers in every state. They know their role, know their people. And there is such support. This is why I think the truckers are there. And I think they're going to line up in big numbers because the public, when they came out and uh, the, this weekend was our first weekend of donations, every place is reporting to me that they're filled right up. Uh, Connecticut, I think they got two tractor trailers of just supplies, food and supplies. So uh, they're going to be all set. If they get down there and like Canada did, show up, everything stops, focus comes on the message, we're going to be able to keep our messengers, um, uh, their uh, fuel in their trucks, food in their bellies uh, for the long haul, and the people's hearts are, are behind it. So I think this is going to be a, a success. Uh, there's no violence at all that's going to be tolerated, not from our groups. Everyone is is tuned into that. This is a peaceful assembly. It's going to be peaceful from beginning to end uh, if we have any influence over it. Uh, do we? Sorry. Sorry, you're heading up the Massachusetts division of this, right? I mean, where is the kickoff point? When is the convoy going to start? And where are you guys leaving from Massachusetts? Well, I threw up a page for the whole Northeast. I, we've got now state organizers in all of the states from Maine all the way down to Pennsylvania and Maryland. So we're going to tie in with Nationals Timeline, and they're going to be staged outside of D.C. on the 24th. Our longest leg being Maine uh, is about a, a two-day trek. So we're going to uh, we're going to do one full uh, push right through get ourselves out of, um, you know, Connecticut, New York, and over into Pennsylvania. We're going to overnight and meet the rest of the country. And so, so uh, the goal is to be there by the 24th and and, uh, and everyone's going to depart on the 22nd or the 23rd? You, oh, no, the, no, the, uh, uh, the 4th. The 4th is when National is going to be arriving, I believe, in Maryland. So oh, the, the 4th of March? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay, yeah. so when and when are, when's the convoy departing? Just if you're well, answer, sorry. For us in the Northeast, uh, we're it's about a two day travel if you were okay. to travel from Maine down to DC. So we're going to do a good full day push, uh, pick up all our brothers and sisters along the Northeast uh, states, and we're going to be positioned um, probably in uh, Pennsylvania area. Um, and we're going to be right there timed with the rest of the nation. The Southeast will be coming up. Uh, the guys that started in California, uh, they're going to be rolling on the 23rd. Uh, their schedule is out there. So we know approximately where they're going to be and how long it's going to take. And we're going to try to time it. It may not be perfect, but you're going to see a lot of America uh, rolling on D.C. Uh, come the beginning of the month. So are you linking up with other conservative groups for this effort? Um, again, this is completely apolitical. We're not, um, we're not targeting uh, anybody and we're not omitting anybody. Uh, we've, we really are just appealing to, uh, I mean, we want to get our truckers there, 
there's a big ground effort reaching out to all the private trucking uh, companies. We're at every truck stop, every rest area, and we're letting them know it's there. We got a route map now. So uh, the marketing that we do isn't going to be based on any political persuasion. It, it's going to be just on uh, getting the trucks because they're the perfect messengers. They, they run the, the veins and the arteries of this country. Every trivial little thing that we buy has been driven across country and, and brought to that store that you bought it from. So they're the perfect messengers for this. And uh, getting them on board and getting the people in behind them. And this is going to be a little different than uh, Canada. They had eight months to, to prepare. Uh, it really was a truck convoy. Here in America, this is the people's convoy. I am hearing from many, many uh, people that are hopping in their pickup trucks and their cars, motorcycle groups, motorcycle clubs, when and where we're going. So this is going to be different in that respect. And so far, the ratios that we're seeing is that for every one truck, we're going to see probably five cars. So are you developing a long-term strategy here? Or do you think this is like kind of a, a one-time thing? Oh, no, no, no. So the volunteers are in this for the long haul. So if we, for example, let's say that they're down there for uh, months, you know, this could go on for weeks or months and we're ready if we need to get supplies in there, uh, rotate in new convoys so these guys can get out, run a load, uh, you know, shower and do whatever. Uh, we're there with that message and, and government's not going to be able to ignore it. The news is not going to be able to ignore it. Yeah. All we can do, the best we can do is define ourselves because if we, we're not out there very loud early on defining what it is that we're we're asking for we know they're going to try to define us these are wonderful uh just wonderful americans they're wonderful people as i said i i watch democrats and republicans working side by side the moment they uh put those uh political subtleties aside their differences they, they work like workhorses and are just doing a wonderful job. So I'm very optimistic. All right. So and this is my last question. Um, so so you're, you told me that you're the Eastern States Regional Chairman for the National Constitution Party. Uh, can you tell me in a nutshell, what is the Constitution Party and how many people are in it? Well, you know, this is where the, the politics comes in. Most of the people, uh, the, the overwhelming majority is very few that even know that I'm associated uh, in this uh, trucking effort uh, because I wound up in a um, pretty visible position as far as organizing and we all agreed no politics. Well, I've withheld that. Most people have no idea. I shared that with you last night in preparation for this. I'm not injecting that into the movement though. Okay. I think the, the relevance is that as the, the Northeast Regional Chair, um, I have uh, connections and it is my uh, geographical area from West Virginia to Maine uh, to uh, develop and grow the, um, the party in those states and assist those state leaders. So I had some connections within the region of people that I trusted. So when I, that's really why I threw out that regional page for the convoy 
is, you know, I, I knew there were some competent people that wouldn't go astray from the message and it would allow our states in the Northeast. I'm telling you, these people know their roads and know their people. Um, it, it was just best that they organize and connect their subroutes uh, up here. So that's what, kind of the connection is I had a regional network and I tried to uh, put them to work. Um, but the party itself, this is a political party, just like uh, Republicans and Democrats, only, you know, I, I spent years myself, I'll admit, I was a Republican for many years. I belonged to every organization that was about bringing classic conservative family-oriented values back to the GOP. I, I was a, you know, I was a fly in their ointment. They didn't like me very much because they, uh, they worked on compromise with the Democrats and they, they just became more democratic, uh, if you will. So I tried to change within the, the party, uh, within the apparatus, and I couldn't. I was a delegate twice to the National Convention for the Republicans, and they did everything they could to keep uh, people like myself out from participating. Three times they tried to do away with caucuses in Massachusetts because free thinkers like myself went, uh, went in there and started beating senators and sheriffs uh, for delegate seats to the National Convention. Um, I got to a point where I realized that it was so broken, no matter how hard uh, myself and others like me work to change the party and bring it back to its roots, a problem which is identical or even worse within the Democrat party, by the way. But I, I said, I'm tired of wasting time. And I looked at the, the Constitution Party and then I uh, evaluated it over uh, time. And unlike the other two parties, they kind of change their window dressing every two to four years, you know, what their values are. And I would submit to you that if you change them every election cycle, just as a mathematical calculation of trying to win an election, these are not your values. They stand for nothing. So when I looked at the Constitution Party and I said, this is just wrapped in freedom and liberty. In many cases, it's just a reiteration of the Constitution Party. And I got thinking, I said, what if, you know, my kids, my grandkids, uh, you know, what are they going to see if they want to uh, investigate the Constitution Party? And I think it would be the same for them. They got values they are underpinned by their, their small government constitutional values and will be the same after every election cycle. So that was a great appeal to me as it wasn't shifting ground under my feet. There was a set of uh, values that, that were underpinned in the party philosophy. And, you know, it very much was decentralized, um, you know, from their opinions on foreign policy, right down to uh, civic activism and engagement at the municipal level. It all worked together very nicely. So I, I'm excited even though uh, we got states that are, are still seeking ballot access. And I walked into a seat where the Northeast needed uh, a great deal of development. I'm seeing a, a, an amazing groundswell of interest uh, as people are starting to look outside of the duopoly uh, politics that we see in our state houses in, in DC. Thanks for listening to Newslink Live with Genevieve DiNatale. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. While you're at it, leave us a rating and review.